Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who are on a spiritual journey and want to reclaim a vibrant and authentic faith. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Sandy Reynolds. Hi, welcome to episode 94. We're definitely getting closer to the big 100, and I'm thinking about what topic to explore. If you have any ideas or guests that you'd like me to try and get on the podcast, or guests you'd love me to have back on the podcast, send me a message and I will do my best to accommodate you. So today I want to start on a four-part series that will take us over the whole holiday season. And I'm calling it Reclaiming or Reframing Advent. So for those of us who have been hurt or disillusioned, maybe betrayed, or for some other reason find ourselves on the fringe of faith, Christmas can trigger a lot of feelings of longing for the good old days when faith was easy. I don't know if you remember, like I do, going to Christmas Eve services and holding a candle and singing Christmas carols before we went home to open a bottle of wine and watch our favorite Christmas movie. It was so comforting, it was so easy, and sometimes I just wish I could go back. But as Rod Bell says, once you've seen, you can't unsee, and my eyes have been opened. I've seen the light, and the light is life-changing. And certainly it's been faith changing as well. So thinking about going to church on Christmas Eve can feel like a theological landmine to me. A lot of those Christmas carols have words that I'm just not comfortable singing. And the whole evening can be a stress for me. So I'm quite happy now to skip the service and just stay home with my family and enjoy some time together. But still it's Christmas, and even if you're not sure where you fit in what John Philip Newell refers to as the Christian household, I wanted to offer you some ways to bring an alternative into the season, a way to practice faith and spirituality, and a way to bring comfort and hope and joy and peace and love into the season. And not in a trivial way, not in a superficial way. I wanted to give you some practices to think about and to reflect on. And I know that these are things that I'm going to be doing. And I invite you to come along with me on this journey of reclaiming your faith and beginning to reconnect with what's deepest and most important in you. So traditionally, I celebrated Advent and I used to love Advent. We had a practice of lighting a candle every Sunday as a family. We did some readings and then we had some crazy decadent dessert or treat. And my faith was much simpler in those days. I think I took things at face value. I went along with things. I didn't really question a lot. I hadn't yet started picking at those threads that eventually led to a major unraveling. And even though I'm glad that I got there, sometimes I miss those simpler times. And Christmas is one of those times. 
I think no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you could still reclaim Advent without feeling compromised or inauthentic in any way. So like most Advent wreaths, ours was created out of evergreens. It was a circle that symbolized everlasting life in the midst of winter and death. And the circle reminded us of God's unending love. And each week we lit a candle to represent something different. And this week, the first week, is coming on December 2nd. And that candle, the first candle, represented hope or expectation. I think hope is something we need to cultivate in our lives. And I've been doing a lot of reading this week about hope and just sitting with the idea of hope. We live in very scary times. There are really big things like climate change, global politics, and all the uncertainty that's going along with that. And then there's the life stuff, all the things that we live with on a daily basis. In my case, aging parents, adult children, grandchildren, there's work stress, there's financial challenges, there are all kinds of things that are going on at this time of year. I'm not sure exactly what's going on in your life, but I'm yet to have met a woman in my coaching practice or in my life who does not feel overwhelmed right now on some level with her life. I was together with my family last week for American Thanksgiving and my son showed us a visual story a friend of his had made on Instagram to share with her community the tragic death of her two-month-old baby. And, you know, I don't want you to think that was really a weird thing to do. She is in she's a documentary filmmaker and so it would be a natural expression for her to do that kind of processing of her grief. She showed the journey of the family gathering and the powerful images prior to taking him off life support. And we all cried watching it. It was heartbreaking. And I can't help thinking about her and her family as we go into this Christmas season and how I want for her and for you and for me to have hope. We need hope and that family needs hope. And when I light my hope candle this weekend, I know I'll be saying a prayer for them in this dark time. Brene Brown has done some writing on the area of hope. And she says, according to the people I interviewed, the very foundation of protective factors, the things that made them bouncy or resilience was their spirituality. She defines spirituality as recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. Practicing spirituality brings a sense of perspective, meaning, and purpose to our lives. She says, from this foundation of spirituality, three other significant patterns emerged as being essential to resilience. The first one is cultivating hope. 
The second one is practicing critical awareness. And the third practice is letting go of numbing and taking the edge off vulnerability, discomfort, and pain. So we're going to focus on the first one this week, cultivating hope. We want, I want to understand it, to learn how to cultivate it and celebrate it. So what is hope? If someone was to ask you, what is hope? What would you say? A lot of things ran through my mind when I started thinking about it. And that's why I realized that I needed to do a little bit of reading on it. As I was reading, I noticed a lot of people referred to the work of Charles Snyder and his team. And they did research into the area of hope and actually developed something called hope theory. Some of the things that they talked about were things like hope is not an emotion. I love this. Hope is not an emotion. It's a dynamic, cognitive, motivational system. I'm sure if you had thought of a definition of hope, you would not have come up with dynamic, cognitive, motivational system. And if you did, you either knew his work or you're freaking brilliant. So my hat's off to you. Hope consists of agencies and pathways. If you have hope, you have the will and determination that your goals will be achieved and a set of strategies at your disposal to reach your goals. Hope involves the will to get there and different ways to get there. So essentially what he's saying is that according to hope theory, or at least the way I'm reading it, hope can be learned and hope means that you believe you will reach your goal and you have a way or a plan or an idea of how you're going to reach your goal and you have the desire or the will to get you there. So I've been thinking a lot about that and remembering one of the times that was probably the most darkest time for me. It happened in the middle of my faith crisis and I definitely felt like I didn't have a whole lot of hope. I was hurting from some major betrayal. My daughter had lost a baby and I was diagnosed with cancer. And I had nothing. I had no resilience. I had no way to put that diagnosis into any kind of perspective in my life at all. I felt very, very hopeless. And I was terrified. I felt very alone. And I no longer had the kind of faith that I once had where I believed everything happens for a reason. I'm just going to interrupt that thought and tell you a funny story that happened to me recently. I was out in BC and I had done some hiking with a friend down to a beach and we had spent the afternoon on this beach just looking at tide pools and just enjoying ourselves completely on a beautiful day. And we were packing up to leave and I couldn't find my glasses and I was really sure I had them with me because I need them for looking at anything close up. So I couldn't imagine that I hadn't had them with me. And so I started like retracing my steps on the beach and looking and I spent about 45 minutes looking for them. And this man passed me at one point and he asked me what I was looking for. And I told him I'd lost my glasses. And he said to me, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. And he went on his merry way. 
And I just looked at him and I, at the back, at his back as he went past. And I thought, well, thanks for helping me find them. But I also just thought about that everything happens for the reason. And what possible reason could there be for me losing my glasses? Anyway, we hiked back to the car and I found my glasses in the car where I had left them on the seat. And uh, my friend and I just started laughing our heads off about everything happens for a reason. And sometimes things just happen. You just forget your glasses in the car. There is no big reason for it. And it can be very uh, trite or just offensive even to say that to someone. Losing your glasses maybe isn't a huge deal, but using those kinds of cliches can leave people feeling more wounded and more hurt and alienated. But I digress. So in the middle of discovering I had cancer, I felt abandoned and I had no resilience at all. I had nothing to fall back on that brought me any comfort and it was a very difficult time for me and as I've been thinking this week about hope and what it feels like to be without hope I've been thinking about that time in my life a few years ago it's about five years ago now and I don't know what's going on in your life I don't know if you're in a very dark place where you don't feel like you have any answers anymore and sometimes with the certainty of answers that you have when you have a certain belief system there is a comfort and without that certainty you can feel like you have no hope. Krista Tippett in her book Becoming Wise an inquiry into the mystery and art of living says hope is distinct from optimism or idealism it has nothing to do with wishing it references reality at every turn and reveres truth. It lives open-eyed and wholehearted with the darkness that is woven ineluctably into the light of life and sometimes seems to overcome it. Hope, like every virtue, is a choice that becomes a practice that becomes spiritual muscle memory. It is a renewable resource for moving through life as it is, not as we wish it to be. Cynicism is not more reasonable than hope. Unlike almost every worthwhile thing in life, cynicism is easy. It's never proven wrong by the corruption or the catastrophe. It's not generative. It judges things as they are and does not lift a finger to shift them. I love that and you might want to stop and go back and listen to that again but I love that she says hope is distinct from optimism or idealism and it has nothing to do with wishing and I think the hope that I used to have was really optimistic and very ideal. It wasn't really rooted in the truth and I didn't understand how it fit with darkness. Hope is a function of struggle. I think hope is what we need most when we're in the midst of darkness. So how do you cultivate hope? The type of hope that isn't just a platitude or based in wishful thinking? Maria Popova, the woman behind brain pickings, 
And if you haven't looked at that website, I encourage you to check it out. She says, critical thinking without hope is cynicism. Hope without critical thinking is naivety. In order to survive, we need to bridge critical thinking with hope. And for me, there's something really beautiful in this way of looking at hope. It gives me hope. It inspires me to light a candle. Hope isn't wishing that nothing bad will happen, keeping my fingers crossed or magical thinking. Hope is being honest. It's believing that bad things happen, but there is a way through them. It's calling critical thinking into play and saying, how are we going to get through this and believing that we can get through our struggles. Most likely as I've learned with the support of our family and friends and with the absence of cliches, like everything happens for a reason. As Desmond Tutu says, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. So I want to invite you to join me this weekend or sometime this week, this first week of Advent in a spiritual practice. Find some time to light a candle. You don't need to have an Advent wreath, just light a candle and hold space for hope in your life, in your family, for your friends who need some hope right now, for our world, for our political leaders, for anything that feels really dark to you. I just invite you to hold that space of hope with me. And if prayer is a practice you're comfortable with, pray for hope. I hope that this reflection today on hope will give you an opportunity to pause and to think about Christmas and reframe Advent in a way that nourishes your soul. Thank you for joining me and thank you for being the reason that I take time to reflect on these things in my own life. I hope this reflection on hope has helped you today and please share it with a friend who might be in a dark place or could use a little perspective and some hope this season. If you're not part of my community, you can join my mailing list. Just go to sandyreynolds.com and you'll find information there on how you can sign up. I've got some exciting new programs starting in January. I'm really looking forward to building this community of women who want to reclaim a vibrant and healthy spirituality. So thank you for being with me on this journey. See you next time.